This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by University of Chicago physician, Dr. Allison Tothi. Allison's going to talk about what she's seen today, what she's excited about today, her career, and a little bit more. Dr. Tothi, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure, I'm happy to. I, uh, I'm a pediatric emergency medicine physician at the University of Chicago. I've uh, been here uh, quite a while now, um, 15, almost 16 years. Uh, I had trained at Children's Memorial, what is now Lurie Children's, but at the time was Children's Memorial. I did my residency and my fellowship there and then uh, moved to the University of Chicago and have a, had a variety of leadership roles, both in on the operations side, day-to-day operations, as well as uh, strategy and oversight work. It, 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 it take a moment, pediatric emergency work, what has the last year looked like with COVID? Up and down, what are some of the trends you've seen with COVID-19 in pediatric emergency work? The pediatric emergency medicine world has had huge ups and downs. I mean, just like the rest of healthcare, it's, uh, we um, have had you know, moments of incredible anxiety, stress, worry, uh, downward trends in our volume, to what we think are stabilizing moments. And again, then more anxiety. And then finally, you know, I think we are now at a path of um, more stability, obviously more understanding of the disease, more understanding of what to expect um, and are now figuring out our paths forward, hopefully as our volumes increase, uh, just like the rest of the country and other healthcare and other healthcare environments. And, and what are you seeing? We're hearing a little bit. We're talking early April of 2021. And, you know, there have been huge downturns in the amount of COVID cases throughout the country. Now they're seeing a little bit of a trickle back up. How much of that are you seeing in the University of Chicago community or in that area? And, and, and is that concerning yet? Or is it right now just a, just a little bit of a tick up and not yet at the spot where completely concerning? Um, so uh, that's a let me unbundle that a little bit. So I think first I would say that for every parent whose child gets sick with COVID, it is a worrisome experience. So even though our numbers appear, you know, initially be trending down, remember they are still high compared to other times of the year. So. COVID numbers are, um, you know, COVID is still present. COVID has not gone away. Um, and kids are, and families are still getting sick with it. Um, but I will tell you that every time a patient and a parent comes into a room and I tell them that they have COVID or they're worried about COVID, it is all about that family and what they are worried about. So um, it's a little bit hard to generalize around whether or not people should be should be concerned or worried if their child gets COVID because I know that it's so deeply personal when your child gets sick. Um, That being said, uh, our kids are still remaining relatively on the healthier side uh, with less residual side effects from COVID. They are not getting as seriously ill as uh, other, as adults and other patient populations are. However, Um, There is a subset of children who are getting incredibly sick after COVID uh, with with, uh, a uh, multi-system inflammatory process uh, that can take, you know, take its toll on children and have long-term effects. 
and, and truly, you, you hit it very well, though. Anytime your child is sick, whatever it might be, particularly something as unknown as this, tremendous worry for the parents, regardless of what you, you know, regardless of what the prognosis is, always very scary until at least you get very confident in the prognosis, the prognosis will be okay. And are you seeing an uptick back in cases yet or not yet? What is the sense of that? So um, uh, specifically around COVID, we're starting to see our numbers of kids increase a little bit. Uh, it's slow. Uh, it's not, it is actually similar to other upticks that we've seen where it seems to be that, you know, this is anecdotal, but it seems to be that the adults are getting it and then bringing in their kids because they've exposed their kids and then the kids are positive. So um, there's maybe like a tiny little lag in positive kids, it feels like, versus that the parents come first. Um, but we are seeing a slow uptick. And I can say that because over the past two weeks, I've been in the emergency department. I was seeing none two weeks. None of our tests were positive. We test a lot. So, uh, you know, that is, it is part of our bundle of viral tests that we do. Um, when a kid comes in with cold-like symptoms, we would offer to test for COVID and flu is bundled in there with something called RSV, which is a, a viral illness as well that can affect little kids during the winter. Um, and so we test for that. And I will tell you that, you know, two weeks ago when I was calling through my test reports, the tests were negative, um, were all coming back negative. And then just the past couple of days, there's a percentage that's coming back positive, um, and that percentage is increasing slowly. So we are seeing more of it, uh, but we are also seeing our volumes are increasing. So um, it is expected not just that we're seeing more of it because there's an uptick in the community, but we're starting to see more patients come into our pediatric emergency department. Um, and because of that, um, our numbers are increasing as well. Another question on emergency departments. One of the things you hear from hospital leadership constantly is that volumes are coming back throughout the hospital, but sometimes the smallest place they come back to is the emergency department because people are scared to come back to emergency departments. You know, and, and then on top of pediatrics, a lot less sports, a lot less injuries and stuff like that. What's your sense of that? Are people getting more comfortable coming back to emergency departments or is there still this concern about, I don't want to go to the emergency department because I don't want to be exposed to COVID and stuff like that? So it's multifactorial. I would say that our numbers are slowly increasing. You know, we were very early on, right? Just like everyone else in the country, 20% of our volume, 10%, 20%, 30% of our volume. And then we bumped up to like 50% over the fall and into the winter. And I'd say we're getting closer to somewhere between that 50 and 70% mark um, for our volume return. Now, we are coming off winter. Winter is traditionally in the pediatric ER, our super busy time. It's when kids get all their, their respiratory viral illnesses. And now as we move into summer, it will be much more trauma-related, keeping in mind we're the only level one trauma center for the South Side of Chicago. Our trauma team is always busy. We just see an uptick in traumas um, over the course of the summer. So the type of piece we're going to see is going to switch is going to shift a little bit but now that you know kids are back in school schools are really you know schools are a, are a, almost a referral point for us we weren't seeing as much uh, 
we were seeing, we were not seeing all of the abuse and neglect that we usually see. We were not seeing um, just as many general colds and coughs and illnesses that we were seeing um, because school wasn't screening. You know, kids aren't in school, weren't in school, and they weren't screening for it. But now the kids are starting to go back to school. We're starting to see our usual trends of uptick of what we get referred to from schools. So our, our volumes are slowly coming back in, in that realm as well, um, which is obviously great from a revenue support uh, model, from generating RVUs, all those things, from like a personal um, relief as a pediatric emergency medicine doctor and my colleagues are feeling relief around. We're now seeing the patients that we should be taking care of. They're not being missed. And that to us is a huge relief that they're getting back to seeing a doctor. And, and what has all this meant for staffing over the last year and trying to keep ERs staffed well without, you know, without understaffing, without overstaffing and trying to transition back up now? This is so complicated. It's so it's such a complicated question um, or, or such a complicated answer. And and there's. There's only one right answer depending on who you ask, which is, you know, for our physician group and our nursing group, we have to be staffed adequately to safely take care of the patients that we are, are responsible for. Um, it's, it's viewed differently on the administrative side, which is purely a numbers finance game in a lot of ways. So um, there, is, there is a lot of butting heads and um, very strong discussions about what looks like an appropriately, what's an appropriate staffing model. And I would say that care teams don't always agree with administration on what that appropriate model is. It's complicated. The, the, in an ER, in, whether it's pediatric or an adult or a community ER, it's you can't always just judge what your staffing model should be based on the number of people you have in your waiting room. A lot of it depends on how sick your patients are. Because if I, for instance, um, I'm single coverage, meaning that I am the only attending in the, I'm, only, I'm the only supervising doctor in our pediatric emergency department, that's how our model is. Well, if I, and I have residents who care for patients and I have amazing care teams, right? Amazing nurses, techs, um, uh, ancillary staff that help me manage my patients. Uh, but if I have kids that are not incredibly sick, I can move food through them faster. But the minute I get a patient that is um, acutely ill, severely ill, that needs intensive care level care or a trauma that needs multiple resources, I am pulled out of the game basically until that patient is stable, which means all the other patients are um, waiting to be seen, uh, which we, we know in the, you know, on the business model side, they wait longer, the left without being seen rate raises, right? All, there are all these um, back end implications, the throughput gets delayed. Um, and so um, for me, the model isn't, oh, we've got more numbers in our ER. We need to bump up our staffing. There is an acuity level piece that needs to come into play as well. Um, but the other piece that's important to remember is it's shift work. And it's it, our, our staffing models are not designed very well to be an efficient call-in system or a surge process for an emergency department. 
it's just not as simple as picking up a phone and finding people to come in um, to help with the surge. Right. So no, it really ends up being it. I mean, there's more and more predictive analytics programs on this stuff and so forth and so on, but they're all imperfect. And it, it's a very complicated business. I mean, you see it throughout America and all kinds of ways, not just in ERs and, and health systems. You know, people trying, businesses have been highly affected by COVID trying to ramp back up and forth. And, and you find sometimes there's dirt in capacity when you need it because you're not yet ready to, to ramp back up. And, and the right. emergency departments, I'm sure, are no different, trying to make sure you're a little bit well-staffed, but not so highly staffed that it causes horrible economic challenges. Um, <laughs> I completely agree with you. All businesses are, are, are trying to solve for this. The, the, the thing in the emergency department is this is often, and I, I, this is not meant to be like this dramatic drop the mic, but it is truly at times life and death, right? It is the, the difference between recognizing someone is sick before they um, get sicker and crash and decompensate versus being able to catch them sooner. And um, it's, it's, all-encompassing staffing. It's it's identifying what staff, how to work as a team to care for patients and how to rely on a team. Um, and I believe that leveraging those team models actually will help offset um, the uh, unnecessary uptick in staffing that you might need. So there are solutions, there are some solutions that can be successful, but yes, it is like any business and everyone's trying to figure out how to um, recoup costs because there were enormous costs lost over the past year um, and still provide safe, efficient, excellent care that our patients and families deserve. No, 100%. And the, the analogy is, is, is clearly, you know, when you're waiting for TSA because TSA is not ramped back up, the worst thing that happens is maybe you miss a flight. You don't get a chance to go to McDonald's and get some drink real quick before your flight. <laughs> Whereas if, if, you're, if you're trying to ramp up in an ER, you're absolutely right. It's life and death. But, but the, the, the point making is you see these challenges throughout corporate throughout America, not corporate America, just the world, yeah. as things trying to wrap up to the right speed again that have been, you know, so affected by COVID like ER departments have. And clearly a huge yeah. difference and more complicated. You need the right people, the right staff. You can't afford to be understaffed through a low time because it can be life or death. So, no, your point is really well taken. Dr. Tothi, it is always a pleasure to talk to and hear your perspective. What a pleasure to visit you too, always. Thank you so much for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. Thank you so much.